to PRN. Pause, renew, next. A podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and you guys, I am so hyped about today's podcast episode. It was a joy to have Alicia Aikens back on the podcast. She's actually been on twice in a year, so I'm just going to go ahead and call her a friend of the podcast now. In today's episode, we talk about her new book, The Gift of the Outsider, What Living in the Margins Teaches Us About Faith. Now, you guys know that this year on the podcast, our theme is Tell Your Story. There are lots of stories that can be told, but one important story that needs to be told is that of the outsider. So in this episode, you'll hear us talk about what is an outsider, what is an insider, and what are the gifts that people who are in the margins bring to us as a body of Christ that help us see differently, that help us value things differently. I was really encouraged and inspired by this book and by this conversation, and I really think you guys will come away feeling the same. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Well, Alicia, welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you twice in one year. And since you did an intro last year, I don't know that we need to do a full one again, but is there any updates or things that just briefly you would want the audience to know about you or what you're up to these days? Um, I recently had a book come out. (laughs) That's one thing I've been up to Um, and some international travel, but all my other details are the same. I live in DC. I have a normal, and I don't want to say normal, I have a day job in international education and outside of work, I write um, and am involved in ministry at my church. Very cool. Okay, so we're going to jump in with something fun and light before we get into the, the meat of what we're going to talk about today. So in your book, The Gift of the Outsider, you make an aside that you really love gum. You've always loved gum. Mm-hmm. True. So I'm interested in knowing what are your favorite kinds these days of gum? So I love double mint gum. Um, I I like minty kinds of gum. So like any gum that is like winter fresh or spearmint, uh, peppermint flavored, I like. But I also like uh, gum in the big red kind of flavor profile of a little bit spicy. Um, I like that as well. And then my like gum, but not entirely gum of preference. Uh, I like blow pops a lot as well. And I really like the, um, green apple flavor. Oh, good choice. Good choice. I haven't had one of those in a long time, but those used to be my favorite. Yes. They're the best. (laughs) In fact, I think my kids would like some of those. I need to go get some of those. They're the best. And it's coming up on Halloween. You know, they'll be everywhere. Yeah, that's fun. Um, I have, well, I'm kind of a gum chewer. Right now I have Invisalign. That makes it hard. But um, but normally I'm a gum chewer. And I have a child that is a big time gum chewer. But like mm-hmm. he can go through a whole pack. And I don't know. I have to kind of like measure it out for him. Because <laughs> he'll just keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. It's one pack per sitting, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how he feels. Yeah. <laughs> When he's not the one paying for it. Yeah. Ah, Uh, Okay. So the reason I'm having you back so soon from your, your last interview, which was awesome, is partly because I like you, but mostly because you just had a new book come out called The Gift of the Outsider, What Living in the Margins Teaches Us About Faith. 
And I think that this is such an important topic and that you covered it so eloquently and so beautifully and from a faith perspective. And so I just couldn't wait to have you back on to talk about it on our, on our theme this year, it's tell your story. And, um, there are a lot of stories that are hard to hear, but I think one that really needs to be talked about right now is the story of the outsider, which you cover beautifully. So I wondered if you could start by kind of sharing by your definition, what you consider an insider versus an outsider. Insider and outsider language really varies based on the environment you're in. You can be an insider, you know, inside a building, go outside and there's a completely different makeup of people and suddenly you're an outsider and not just because you're outside, but um, it could be a different group of people. So uh, the way I've defined outsider and the way I look at it in this book um, is a person who has some difference from those around them that is meaningful either to that person or to the other people around them. It could be a difference. It's not meaningful to the person, but other people find it meaningful. Or it could be, it could even be a difference that that person knows that they have that nobody else is aware of that still makes them feel like an outsider and prevents them from fully participating in the social organization that they're a part of. And specific, I'm looking specifically at the church. So any um, element of somebody's background, um, current circumstances, um, ethnic history, family history, all of those things that would make that person feel like they um, are different in a meaningful way that uh, impacts their participation in that group in some way. I would say that's an outsider. And insiders are people who um, share common characteristics with the majority of the people in the group um, and that the shared characteristic gives them greater voice, greater access, um, and a somewhat privileged position within that group to speak to issues, to be heard, um, and to make decisions. So I started reading your book, but I think I read <laughs> maybe the first 20% sitting in a social security office trying to get paperwork done for one of my children. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you that was the best place to start your book providentially mm-hmm. because I was sitting amongst... <laughs> This incredibly differing group of people, Mm because everybody shows up in that kind of office. So different ethnicities, different languages. I mean, different, like there were some people that with disabilities, Mm -hmm. just like this beautiful collection of people. And so even as I'm reading it, I'm like looking around and thinking, wow, it's, it's one thing to read it by yourself. It's another thing to read it while you're actually sitting with all different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. So it was a beautiful representation. So in your book, you share some of your own story of often feeling like an outsider. Can you share just a little bit briefly, like your history and some situations that have led you to really understand what that feels like? Yeah. Growing up, um, I'm not going to go through all of my, you know, like when I was two now, but um, (laughs) I think I've always had interests that varied from my family or varied from others who look like me. So an African-American woman. And I was really, really um, obsessed with Spanish and with music growing up and classical music. Nobody in my family really likes listening to classical music and none of them really like listening to Latin music either, but those were both my jam. And um, it was something that I just had to do by myself. It wasn't an interest that I could share with others. 
I also grew up um, in predominantly white environments. Um, and so in a way I felt like an outsider, but it actually was really when I moved to Virginia and was around other black people that I really felt like, oh, now I feel like an outsider in a completely different way. I don't have the same background as these people who look like me, but there are expectations that I would behave in a certain way or have some shared cultural references or things like that with this group of people that I don't share. Um, and then I, the same thing is true for the other people who I maybe feel more comfortable with in one way, but in other ways, I don't really get their language completely either. Um, I spent a lot of time, um, about five years living abroad in Asia, um, where there are not a lot of Black people. And, you know, just being an American living in a country that's not America automatically puts you in a position where you are having to learn from other people and rely on people um, and learn new ways of doing things and confront discomfort and things like that. And then I think since I've been in DC, I, um, you know, I attend a church that's predominantly white um, in a city that was historically black <laughs> um, in Washington, D.C., and I tend to be on the more politically uh, liberal side of things amongst my um, immediate community. And so even politically, I've been an outsider um, in the space where I um, kind of currently am. So those are some ways that I have. But my time in China, I got to experience um, work like working with Chinese Christians and getting to see them as outsiders, um, being in the religious minority. Um, and so even as a Christian that I've had situations in Seattle and in China where I was in the minority there as well. Thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. I think all of us can relate to an extent of times that we felt like we didn't belong in a way. I think that happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. But when you are in the predominantly culturally, like everybody's like you situation, it's harder to see that. Um, we have an adopted African-American son. Mm -hmm. So that has opened my eyes to a lot of things that before I just really didn't have to see or didn't have to think about. Yeah. Unless you want to put yourself in a place of discomfort, it's easier just not to, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Um, you write beautifully and in depth about the gifts that outsiders bring to the body of Christ and to our walk of faith. I'm not going to ask you to share the whole book because people need to go out and read it. But <laughs> will you share just a couple of the gifts that maybe people don't think of as gifts, but they really are? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the gifts that people don't usually think of, and this is in the section of the book on suffering. Um, is thinking about people who experience injustice uh, on a regular basis and the importance of having people in our um, Christian communities who have their eyes on the temperature of how the world, how the church, how the community is doing in its um, heart for justice issues and seeing um, the justice element of God's good work on the earth done um, and thinking about like 
the important role that prophets played in the Bible and prophets played in the history of God's people um, and people who were calling out not just unrighteousness, but who were calling out social um, injustices in their community as well. And the importance of that, just because the things that matter to God, we want to matter to us. And so having people in our midst who can remind us of those things that we could easily overlook, I think is really important. Another one of the um, gifts, I think, is an ability to empathize with people. Um, and maybe that's a more obvious one, but I often think that it is easier for people who have felt left out before in some way or felt like an outsider to connect with the experience of other people who are currently feeling that. Like I talk in the book about my friend who spoke with a stutter and how we were able to connect, even though he was a white male and I'm a black female. And I felt like he really understood a lot of my experience um, just from him having had that experience um, having, uh, a problem with speaking. And then I, another one that I think is really important to me, um, is the gift of, um, dependence and knowing our limits. Um, I have learned so much from Christians who have chronic illnesses or who are suffering, um, from different kinds of diseases or sicknesses, um, and in their, ability to voice the things that they need and rely on their community um, and be vulnerable. Um, and I think that that is something that um, everyone can learn from. So like reminders that we are finite and that we are um, fragile and that we uh, need rest and that we need our communities um, and that we have limits, I think is important for the health of the church. Amen. Yeah. So as a counselor, I see that a lot because um, people tend to come in counseling when they've hit the wall, although I wish people would hit would come before that. <laughs> but um, over and over again, you know, I hear the refrain of like, I feel like a failure because I couldn't do it on my own. And I don't know if that's just an American idea. I mean, I think it's partly just our human nature as well, but I think American ideals like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, be independent. That's what we should do. Mm-hmm. But, and the opposite of that, I think people think is codependence, mm. but, but the goal is interdependence. That's how God made us. He didn't make us to rely on ourselves. He made us to rely on him and each other. Mm-hmm. But you're not supposed to be able to do it all by ourselves. And so, yeah, learning from people who have to do that sometimes is mm-hmm. a beautiful, under, helps us better understand that. I think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So in writing about the gift of discomfort, which, you know, those two words don't seem like they go together, but they do. And humility. You wrote a story about toasting glasses with somebody in China. Can you share that story and what it illustrates for you? I thought it was a really good word picture. So in China, um, when you want to um, honor or show a difference in status, give honor to other people, recognize other people's sort of position above you. Um, When you're toasting glasses, you would make sure that the lip of your glass uh, hits below the lip of the other person's glass. So you wouldn't want their the lip of their glass to hit the middle of yours. You'd want your the opposite, your glass to hit the middle of theirs. So I had a friend um, who also had lived in China um, as I had before. 
and we were um, on vacation with some friends and everybody was toasting. And as I normally do, because it's a habit of mine, I went to hit his glass below the lip. Um, and he having also lived in China went to hit mine. So we were in this like duel of sorts <laughs> to see who could get lower on whose cup. So like we started off standing and then we were like slowly scr- like uh, slouching down. And then like we were on our knees and then we were both like laying on the ground trying to get lower on the other person's glass. And uh, there's that verse that talks about honor one another above yourselves. And that was essentially like what we were trying to do. It was kind of like an an exaggeration because in China, nobody would be that like gung ho about making sure that they did not hit above the lip of the other person. But it makes me think about um, or that experience makes me think about what it really means and what it looks like to be committed to putting other people's honor um, before our own and um, how that very act of trying to honor someone else might make us uncomfortable. Um, But being committed to that, how that changes um, our interactions with people um, and the way we treat people and the sacrifices that we ourselves are willing to make on their behalf. Yeah. Oh, I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. I want to talk for a minute about lament. I think that this is a really big issue in the church. You know, my pastor says we are the fellowship of the broken. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really great understanding of what the church should be. Mm -hmm. But I think often if we go there once a week, you know, we're like wearing our Sunday best. People are like, hey, how are you? And you're like, oh, I'm great. How are you? Yeah. Not true. Not true. Most of the people in that building are not great. They're not. Yeah. And if any place that we should be open and honest about that, it should be in church where we can lament together. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, how does being able to embrace suffering and lament, like individually in our faith walk, but also collectively as a body, how does that change us? Like, how do you, how have you seen that in your work with others and in, and in the church you're in now? Yeah. I think um, being able to lament freely at your leisure, you know, not feeling like you have to either do it privately or you have to hurry through grief or things like that, or yeah, just keep it private, um, I think helps with healing. Um, It allows you to bring others into the pain that you're feeling and the experience that you're having. Um, I have had a number of friends who have struggled with miscarriages and um, infertility. And even though that's not something that, I mean, I'm not married, so that's not something that has been a part of my life up to this point. I saw in there sharing with me that they were going through those things alone and they didn't, they weren't aware of who else might be going through the same things as them. So I posted a question to Twitter X, whatever, um, asking people, how have you seen your church come alongside and support people who are experiencing, um, infertility or who've had miscarriages? Um, I think I got like 50, or so responses. 
Um, and I put them into a spreadsheet as I do. <laughs> I love spreadsheets. Uh, and I sent them to the person who um, leads our family and children's ministries. And um, they ended up scheduling a service for like a special event for people who had um, experienced infertility or miscarriages uh, for them to kind of corporately, publicly um, grieve the losses um, in their life and name them, uh, know that they weren't alone and um, kind of take comfort in this community of other people who knew about their experience um, and shared their experience in some way. Um, and I think that that was healing for people. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the thought that a church would recognize that this is, um, this is a loss worth pausing, reflecting over processing together. Um, and not something that like, it's really easy to just celebrate baby after baby. My church currently is like, everybody's pregnant, like <laughs> all the people, I don't know what's in the, the <laughs> water, but like every Sunday I'm like, Oh, okay. So I'm the only one not pregnant, <laughs> but, um, the people, I, I think it's worth, you know, learning how to, how to grieve openly and do that. And it's not just with things like miscarriages. It could be one of the reasons I came to the church in the first place back 10, almost 10 years ago. It was after, um, I think the Michael Brown shooting, um, and they were having a service of lament for that. Um, and I was like, well, that is not something that I'm used to. Like, it was just outside of what I thought of as something that churches do where they come together and lament together. Um, and so I think that that helps us know that we don't always have to have put on a happy face or we don't have to hide the things that are hard from each other. Bringing those things out into the light um, connects us to the light, connects us to the light of community, connects us to the light of healing um, and all of those things. And so I think that being able to limit well um, is being able to live more fully as a Christian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Grief is really isolating. It just is. So mm -hmm. having an open place to be able to do that is beautiful. Yeah. It's awesome. Okay. Now I'm going to touch on the, the tricky subject for a second. I'm ready. There is so much in your book that is so helpful and beautiful. It's one thing to read about discomfort and it's another thing to put yourself in it. So let's talk practically about how to do that because Alicia, you really put yourself on purpose into positions like that all the time. And that's unique. Most people do not do that. Right. So I love like every chapter, you have a different example of how you put yourself in a really uncomfortable position. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even moving, I think you, I think you love it now in a way, probably not all the time, but like mm -hmm. you love going to other cultures and all that stuff. But on a practical level, let's talk about what that looks like. Cause what I don't want people to do, like James says, come and listen, then forget, move on and not do anything about mm -hmm. it. Just faith in action is where good change happens, right? Can you talk about, actually, I want to use one of your quotes. You said, when we live in silos and echo chambers, we construct worlds for ourselves void of the very road signs that might otherwise tell us we're going the wrong way. And now more than ever, I think this conversation needs to be had because social media is putting us in silos mm -hmm. with other people that think like us, 
talk like us, believe like us, agree with us, blah, blah, blah. blah. And those who don't are in the opposite camp Mm -hmm. when really that's not what Christ is about at all. So how do we put ourselves in positions where we might be a little uncomfortable, but where growth can happen, where we can learn from other people? Can you share like practical ways that we could begin to do that? Yeah. I think along the lines of what you're saying, social social media um, can help reinforce silos, but it can also help us get out of our silos. They're all if all of the silos live on social media, find a different silo and yeah. listen. You know, what it might not be maybe you listen, you find another community online of people, you you follow them, you don't say anything, you just listen and observe. Like how are they processing what's happening in the world? Uh and how can I be a humble humble listener to their processing of the world without interjecting what I think needs to be considered or weighed or my opinion or things like that. So there is space in the uh, social media realm to be a good listener and to seek out voices um, outside of our silos. And that might be actually a very easy first step to find find communities online of people who are different than you and just listen be a silent observer, a lurker, whatever. A lurker. (laughs) I do this with like certain interests that I have. I just like read the message boards and I never comment, but I think that could be one way. I think also the prevalence of, um, and, and I would recommend this for people who live in areas where they don't have easy access to people from all over the world. You know, when they go to their social security office and everyone in the room looks like them, there are ways to learn about other cultures or to learn about um, the experiences of people in different um, socioeconomic statuses or different countries or different political affiliations on like streaming sites. And there's documentaries and there's television shows and there's special channels that have programming for this culture or that culture, or um, there, are, there are books that you can read. So there are ways that you can uh, have a richer, more varied diet of exposure to other cultures and other life experiences. But for those people who do have access to other people, I would still recommend being a humble listener, observing and things like that, but find, you know, maybe there's a, um, was it ultimate Frisbee league, like that meets in one part of town. And uh, I don't know if black people do ultimate Frisbee, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, finding clubs or organizations, volunteer opportunities, taking a different route on the bus to work so that you're on a different bus. Um, There are opportunities that maybe naturally with some effort, you might be able to make some slight tweaks to your schedule. And then here you are exposed to all these different kinds of people. So that would be one way. And then within your own community, you could just think about like what I did. I wanted to join a small group and I was like, which small group? is least has the people who are least like me 
and has the least diversity in it. That's the one I'll be in. Okay. That one has people who like, I am very different from in many ways. That one over there might seem like a more natural fit, but for now I'm going to commit to this one where everyone there is different from me and different from me in ways that are significant to me. And I am going to learn from them, even though I feel like I want them to learn from me as well. I'm also going to reciprocate that and be in a I'm going to listen. I'm going to observe. I'm going to see the full humanity of these people and what they bring to the church and their gifts and things like that, even though they're different from me. So I didn't have to go far for that. That was something that already existed in my church. Mm -hmm. It was a choice that you made. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing. This is something that I'm learning. Things don't happen unless you're intentional. Yeah. I mean, occasionally they do if you're just lucky, I guess. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) most of the time we have to be intentional. And that was an intentional choice that you made. Yeah. Can I take it one step further? Because if we can get past that to make the intentional choice and put ourselves in a place where maybe we feel like the outsider in the room, so to speak, what do you do with the discomfort feelings that show up when people are saying things you don't agree with or that you think they just don't get it at all? You know, Mm -hmm. and I'm saying that partly because I'm just curious on your process with that, because I think it's helpful to know how we all deal with things differently. Partly because I'll be honest, I'm a verbal processor. So I usually say things and then regret it. (laughs) Like maybe that wasn't the time that I should have put in my two cents on that. So that's something I'm working on, which goes back to the lurking, just listening for a while. (laughs) Uh, I think you could very easily verbally process just with someone else, you know, Uh there you go. Having a group of people who are people you do feel comfortable with that you can process, you know, like when I I, um, lead a training every year for American students who are preparing to go abroad for fellowship opportunities in Asia. And I talk to them about um, getting acclimated to new cultures, how to say state, how to stay safe and things like that. And one of the things that I tell them is really important is maintaining close relationships with people that you feel safe with and who you can be open with. And I, I say to people of color specifically, if you can continue to find, uh, make connections with other people of color overseas who might be able to more fully understand what you're experiencing, or if you can maintain close connections with people from home who know you well, and then you can process the, the, things that you're experiencing in this foreign environment in a trusted environment without ruining those relationships. (laughs) Um, That would be one thing. I think also another thing that I do is I try and ask questions. When people are saying things that I don't agree with, just like maybe I have an agenda with my questions, but I don't necessarily come out the gate with that. Just asking, can you explain a little bit more about this or how did this become important to you? Or, you know, what do you think the consequence of this kind of thinking is like, or have you considered this rather than coming at um, differences of opinion with here's what I think, Mm -hmm. trying to understand like, what does the other person think? How did they come to think that way? Sometimes people think in certain ways, just because that's always how they've thought and they haven't really thought through everything, but even for the person who has thought through everything, is there a chance that I might be able to learn something about this position from asking them better questions? Even if I never agree with it, maybe there is some shared underlying concern for the world, for God, for the church that we share. 
Um, and being able to find that and use that as a launching point for going deeper into the areas where I don't necessarily see eye to eye with people. I think those are some helpful ways. I don't know if that completely answers your question, but I think asking good questions um, goes a long way. That does answer my question. Thank you so much. Because I, I mean, I want people to leave here and have good ideas about what that could look like. As opposed to just like, oh, yeah, hmm, I'll think about that maybe one day hmm. <laughs> and what to do, because once you put yourself in that position, I mean, then you have to like work out the ramifications of relationship when mm-hmm. it might be a little uncomfortable. So I think that those were really, really helpful. Can I share one more example? Yes. Um, when I first moved to China um, there, I had a friend who would always nag me about certain things. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't really even know if I want to keep being friends with this person. I keep <laughs> bringing up these certain things. And I talked to someone else about it. Someone I trusted, someone who had some background. And they're like, oh, that's how they show concern for people. This is how she is expressing that she cares for you as a friend. This mm-hmm. is not her, you know, um, she's not trying to be annoying. And so even just understanding the sort of cultural context for why something was happening being able to, you know, ask questions like this person's doing this, why, you know, what is behind this was really helpful. So in the future, like she's saying these things and I'm like, okay, she cares for me. I'm really glad that she cares for me and think and keeping that in mind when I'm responding to her, like I'm Mm -hmm. responding to someone who cares for me, not someone who's trying to work against my good. Yeah. Yeah. That is really helpful. Really good. Um, It made me think about quite a few things. One, I'm learning in counseling how important just in other like trauma counseling that I'm doing and stuff, how important attunement is and being present with another human and how Mm -hmm. when we're sitting in a room and hearing their story, like things change, like we Mm -hmm. can understand them better. Asking questions, not making it so much about the issue at hand, but like the person Mm-hmm. about the culture, about learning where they're coming from. It's really eye-opening. It's beautiful. I think it is the way of Christ. But anyway, you saying that reminded me of a story years ago. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the specifics. I don't think that would be helpful. But years ago, one of our one of the ladies that would check me out at the grocery store mm-hmm. saw that um, my son wasn't there. And she asked me a really personal question about his adoption. I guess just because he wasn't there. I don't really know. But it really offended me. And I I was just like, what gave her the right to ask me that? That That's so rude. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I answered her nicely. I was nice to her. But after the fact, like you're talking about, I processed it with somebody else who works in diversity fields and teaches about it and stuff. And he said, you know, Jenny, I actually think that it was kind of a privilege that she asked you that because I bet she was curious, but you felt safe enough for her to ask that question. Mm-hmm. And now she's learning things that she didn't know before. And I was like, hmm, that's a good word. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. <laughs> Maybe I'll try not to be so offended. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a big part of it, trying not to be so offended. Like, uh-huh. I feel one of the things that my boss at work has, has always been talking to me about is assume positive intent. There might not always be positive intent, but to try and not always be, I'm, I think maybe by nature, more of a prickly person sometimes and being like, 
do I think that that's why this person said this? Or am I responding to this because that's how it was received? And can I separate those two? I received it this way, but I don't think that that's how it was intended. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, thank you. Is there anything else from your book that we didn't talk about that you feel like definitely you need to say? Um, so the first book that I wrote, the end of each chapter had kind of mostly personal reflections in the form of liturgies, um, to process each of the chapters. But this one, uh, I close each of the chapters with discussion questions or reflection questions. Um, and a part of that is because I really want people to be reflective of their own experiences, not just, you know, you're saying like, not just to hear things and then, you know, keep it moving, but to have some time to pause and think, um, how I could potentially make changes in my life or be more aware or things like that. So I think that that is one of the good resources, um, that, uh, is a part of the, the book. Um, but also I think going back to just the biblical, um, justification for, caring about people who are on the on the outside is really important and i i don't want to leave without saying that like the what is undergirding this whole thing is paul's discussion about how the body of christ is put together um and about how the weaker parts are really indispensable and so like challenging people to really think about who who are the weaker parts here present in my life in this community um and how are they indispensable Mm-hmm. Like asking God, show me how they're indispensable, mm-hmm. you know, not just like sitting and thinking about the things that you value, but like, how is this person independ- indispensable? How are these people indispensable to your overall good plan for your church? Mm. I'm really glad you said that. Thank you. I'm glad I asked that question because I hate that I missed that. And that was like the whole point. <laughs> so yeah. yes, thank you so much for sure. Um, I'm also thinking about those questions um, and how helpful they are and that they're probably great for thinking and praying, reflecting about, journaling about. Mm-hmm. I also actually think that they would be good to do in a small group. Yes. Just to even discuss amongst yourselves. Yeah. Help each other grow. <laughs> <laughs> that could be your safe space to talk about how you're doing and growing in these areas. So. That's right. Well, thank you so much. If people want to find your book, where are the places they should go look? Uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Harvest House Publishers. Um, and I believe you can also find it um, like Christian books and places like that. Um, yeah. Anywhere fine books are sold. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks again, Alicia, for being on today's podcast episode. It was really fun to get to talk to you again. I really appreciate your work, your thoughts, your perspective. It's given me a lot of encouragement and also some things to continue to ponder. Friends, I hope that this also encouraged and inspired you. And if you would like to know more, I hope that you'll go find her book, The Gift of the Outsider. You can find it anywhere good books are sold, just like she said. And I will also link to it in today's show notes. And I do encourage you to really ponder the questions that she asks at the end of each chapter. 
And if you have some friends that you'd like to be in dialogue about this, maybe you guys could do it as a group. I think that would be a great idea. If you know somebody who could be encouraged or inspired by this episode, I hope that you'll pass it on. Word of mouth is my absolute favorite way to pass along PRN, but I also encourage you to share it on social media as well. Well, I hope you'll meet me back here next week for a Soul Care Reflection episode. We'll be doing some scripture meditation together. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.